Oh, the Christmas jammy crew. <laughs> well done. Well done. So much fun. So much fun. I had no idea. Um, thankfully, I'm, I'm not uh, the one in charge. Uh, God is, and that's a great thing. I had no idea when he gave me this idea back in uh, October, August, September, whenever it was, right in there, um, that this verse that he gave us for the Outrageous series would come to a close today. The simple little verse I asked you to remember, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. How perfect for Christmas, right? I, that wasn't my intention at all. I had no dream of this series even getting to Christmas, and yet here we are, and it just fits so Perfectly. Today we're going to talk about the outrageous moment, the outrageous moment where God became man, Jesus' incarnation, God with us. It's an incredible concept. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift. We celebrate something today that is absolutely essential to our faith. It is just as essential as the truth of last week and Mary's virgin birth. It is every bit as essential as both the crucifixion and the resurrection. If you are new to the church, new to Jesus, then maybe you, you, don't have a, you haven't had a chance to learn how important these truths are and how absolutely amazing and outrageous they are. And so if that's you, then we, if you're just beginning to discover Jesus, then you are here at just the right time. It's called the beginning, a great place to start. Christmas celebrates the birth of our Jesus, the birth, the coming of our God into this world to save us. This outrageous truth, now that's our focus for today. For those of us that have been followers of Jesus for a long time, then we can become really, really familiar, shall we say, with the stories and the events that surround Christmas. And because of that, for some of us, they tend to lose their awe and wonder. I've even heard it said that amongst Christians, they wish that the church wouldn't cover the Christmas story every, every year. Some people think it gets old. Some people even say that it's boring. <laughs> Honestly, that breaks my heart because they're speaking truth from their perspective. But I want you to hear it and think of it this way. Taking time to specifically remember the moment when the creator of the universe left everything behind to come and live among his creation, to become one of us, uh, that's not boring in any way. It's completely outrageous. And it's also the only way that my salvation is possible, and by the way, yours as well. <laughs> we can become so familiar with so many of the words around Christmas that we just, maybe we don't even know what they mean. We just use them. But we talked about the virgin birth and the importance of it last week. This week, the word incarnation. God becoming man. It's a ridiculous notion. It's really only possible to understand it at all if you look at it from a spiritual point of view. 
with a spiritual mind. So for me as your pastor to get the opportunity at least once a year to share this with you is a privilege that I will never, ever grow tired of. Think of it. To stand before God's people, visitors, families, friends, and proclaim the biblical truth that God has walked among man and that he came to bring salvation to all who will call upon his name. I mean, that's priceless. The miracles of the virgin birth, of incarnation, the incarnation of God, they they need to be shared from the mountaintop as often as we can share them. As a matter of fact, I think there's even a song this time of year that says something to that effect. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Yeah. The story's outrageous. There's nothing mundane, there's nothing boring or routine about the biblical account of the incarnation of Jesus, of the virgin birth. If nothing else, at just a literary level, just if it were just a book to be read, it is an amazing story. The scandal of this claim of a pregnancy with no human father, the part of the betrothed on the part of the betrothed girl, the angel being sent to a betrothed husband, a skeptical, hurting betrothed husband to assure him, to these men from afar that come following this astronomical, astrological phenomenon to come and worship this young child. The story is filled with emotion, intrigue, plotting, scandal, and yes, even a paranoid evil king named Herod who wanted to kill said baby a little later on in the story. The story has all the makings of a great motion picture or TV series. Are you watching The Chosen right now? Anyway, if presented as nothing more than that, it's enough to keep people's interest for sure. So today we're going to talk about the incarnation. Now here's the thing. That word, if you you did a quick search of of the text of your Bibles for the word incarnation, you will not find it. It does not exist. It is a biblical idea, not a biblical term. The word's not in the Bible until you get to the Latin version of the Bible where the word incarnatio or being or taking on flesh is a word that came from the Latin translation of, of John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh, incognitio. That's where we get our word, incarnation. We have, this, we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And then that word has now been used since A.D. 300, when that Latin text was written. Incarnation is the act of grace whereby Christ took on our human nature, and he took it into union with his divine person, and he became man. Christ is both God and man. A divine being that was united with human nature. Please note those two natures were not mixed together. He was fully God and fully man. This incarnation was foretold long ago. As we've shared from the beginning of this series, the first hint is in Genesis 3.15. And God is talking to Adam and Eve and Satan. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, or your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. But then we're left with the mystery. This one who would crush Satan would be a seed of a woman. Yes, a human. But that's all. 
That's all until the next big, huge clue comes in Isaiah 7, 14. We talked about the first half last week. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The virgin birth was last week, so today we will talk about Emmanuel, a beautiful Hebrew word, meaning God with us. Now, you see, God has actually been with the Jews for a long, long time. We read the accounts of God making his presence known to them through things like clouds of fire, pillars of smoke, and other different things. Now, that was a different version of God with us. I like to describe those instances as God over us, or maybe God around us. God was with them in a sense. He was overseeing them. He was protecting them. He was guiding them. Emmanuel would change that relationship from being just a vertical one between man and God to now literally being a, a horizontal one, as God is now physically with mankind. This prophecy comes from Isaiah around 700 years before Jesus arrived and is fulfilled through Mary in Bethlehem just as predicted. The eternal word of God made flesh to live with us. Jesus is the son of God. Don't miss that. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be taken to his own advantage or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2.6. Praise God for his indescribable gifts. The baby that we are coming to celebrate today is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have him and all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Colossians 1.15. This is what incarnation looks like. This is the basis of our entire faith. Yes, he, he came on a quiet night in a small village he came without any triumphant announcement, except for that small little musical number that was performed for a few lonely shepherds on that hillside outside of Bethlehem. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that production at all, but those few unsuspecting shepherds saw something more glorious than all of the sounds and lights of a Broadway show. They were both terrified and amazed at the same time. And I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be a part of the crew that God sent to make that announcement. You see, I don't think that crew was a bunch of choir rejects. 
I really don't think that was a group of people who had one more credit that they needed in order to graduate, so they had to find some class, and they ended up in this choir. No, I think this crew was one of two things, either specifically created for that purpose, I think that's a very viable option, or they had been preparing their entire existence for this moment to come. This was their purpose, to make this announcement, and they were chosen to make an announcement and put on a show that we can only dream of. And because a man named Luke wrote it, we, we only get five verses to sum it all up. I'm sure some of us might have offered a much more descriptive version of the show that those shepherds saw. But hey, you know what? At least it's in there. At least it's in there. The importance of Christ coming cannot be overstated. The story of incarnation is not a story. It is the central theme of God's salvation for all humanity and his outworking of making himself officially known physically to his creation. The coming of Christ is one of the most important doctrines in all of the church because it is the foundation of the church. Speaking to the disciples, Jesus told them, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not overcome it, Matthew 16, 18. The incarnation of God, the Son, means everything to the church. Christ's comings means that, that we, we are called according to his purpose through faith in the Son of God to have direct access to our God now and to his ever, never-ending grace. It gives us a worthwhile purpose in life, an eternal hope, and an incredibly glorious, outrageous, can I use it one more time, future. Thanks be to God for his in indescribable gift. Thank God that he has given us such a wondrous salvation as this, that apart from the gift of faith, we could never, would never, ever, ever be able to believe it's true. The gospel is the message that Jesus, a man from a little town of Nazareth who had a mother but no earthly father, is the savior of the world. This is an outrageous claim, and it's outrageous as it is True. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. And apart from the gift of faith, it takes a fool to believe it. Yet this is how the creator of the universe chose to reveal the salvation for all mankind. We are called to proclaim this truth, the truth of this message, and we should never stop sharing it. We can't overlook it. We can't ignore it. We can't assume in this world that people already know it. We can't forget the importance of this moment that we're celebrating today, the incarnation or the coming, or allow people in any other way to forget to preach the same. We have to be reminding folks, everything changed when Jesus was born. He had come, when he, because he had come, all things are now possible. He told us the poor received the good news. The brokenhearted could be healed. The captives might be set free. The blind would receive their sight. The lame walk. And yes, if you remember that last one, and the dead are raised. God's physical presence in human form brought the story to life in a brand new way. 
Until Jesus' arrival, God's word, God as we knew him, was only in print. God speaking through mankind, inspiring the likes of Moses and prophets and kings and others to speak on his behalf, to record his words so that God could, or so that man could know the heart of their God, so that man could learn the ways of God, so that man could have a relationship with their creator who they could not physically see until, until Jesus appeared. God's word was in print. It was on on parchment or papyrus or sheepskin or paper, which ink of some kind was applied to form some form of letter, words, sentences, paragraphs, all intended to convey the message of heaven to us. But now, now this isn't a bad thing. These are incredible things. It's amazing that this thing still exists, that these physical words have been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. I am so thankful that God preserved this for us to continue to learn more about himself. But when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, something special happened. It took the word and it made it flesh and blood. And it lived among us, and it showed us all that God had been saying and intending and was planning from that moment on. From that moment on, you could not only read the words of God, but you could see them in the person of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he spoke to people. He looked directly in their eyes. He formed relationships with them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He physically showed people the love of God in a way that they physically experienced for their very own selves. Now, one, no one, no one, no one who observed this man that was God walking the earth walk away, walked away from him unchanged. Everyone chose a side When Jesus taught and healed, people saw things they'd never seen before. They heard things in a way they had never been presented before. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, John tells us in chapter 1, verse 14. The word of God that had been with the Jews for thousands of years came alive before their very eyes. The incarnation of Jesus is the greatest moment in this small planet's history. Now, some people argue that the resurrection is the greatest moment. I would simply contend that you can't have the resurrection without the incarnation. So maybe it's 1A and 1B, whatever. But that's not the end of the story, you see. Jesus' arrival changed everything forever. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us. And in one way, He has never left You see, that same presence of Jesus continues on to this very day, and it does so through you and through me. His followers are now filled with his spirit to continue to make him known throughout this world. We take his message. We take his words. We take his love to a lost and dying world all around us. The incarnation of Jesus, the coming of God to this world through a man named Jesus continues on through each and every one of you. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27. God's plan calls for people to look at us 
and see Jesus. Scripture calls his believers his very own body. When a pre-believer comes into contact with us, our prayer is that they feel like they walk away having come in contact with Jesus through us. I want to close with a a short little illustration. It's a very, very simple, simple way of describing the incarnation of Jesus. For those of you that are theologians, yes. Yes, this absolutely oversimplifies it. So please don't hate me. It's not my illustration. (laughs) It doesn't even come close to capturing the full scope of what the coming of God in this world in the flesh truly means. But here's my prayer. I pray that God can use this to help you maybe just understand just a little bit better and just as important to give you a way to share this outrageous truth with others. When you begin discussing with someone that doesn't know Jesus yet, about who Jesus is, and you're trying to tell them how God, the God, the creator, came to this world and made himself a man, that can be tricky. So this might be a simple way that you can use to start that path, that walk with them. I did not write this. This is from a 19th century theologian, someone way, way smarter than me. He told the story of a prince, a prince who wanted to find a maiden suitable to be his queen. One day, while running an errand in the local village for his father, he passed through the poor section of the village. At a glance out his windows, he saw a woman, a beautiful peasant maiden. During the ensuing days, he purposely often passed by that young lady and soon fell in love, but he had a problem. How would he seek her hand? Oh, sure, he could order her to marry him. He was the prince after all, but even a prince wants his bride to marry him freely and voluntarily, not through some form of coercion. Oh, he could put on his most splendid uniform and drive up to her front door in a carriage drawn by six marvelous horses. But if he did that, he would never be certain if the maiden truly loved him or was simply overwhelmed by all the splendor. So the prince came up with a new solution. He would give up his kingly robe. He would move into the village, entering not with the crown, but with the garb of a peasant. He lived among the people. He shared their interests and their concerns. He talked their language. And in time, the maiden grew to love him for who he was because he had loved her first. Your father in heaven loves you. And he didn't just say it. They aren't just words on a page. Though the words, Jesus loves you, are completely, absolutely, totally true, he did more. He proved it. First, by coming to this world, he chose to restore that relationship with his creation that we destroy. He came in the only way that he could have to make it all possible. As a miraculous baby born of a virgin, 
He had to grow in wisdom and in stature with God and man. He had to read and learn. He had to be tempted and suffer. He had to choose not to sin throughout his entire life so that his perfect nature would be intact, so that he could be lied about, bullied, abandoned, beaten, mocked, tortured, and ultimately killed so that he could conquer sin and death, so that he could overcome the grave, so that my sins and your sin could be forgiven, so that we can have hope in this hopeless world, so that we could live in the light of his glory and grace, so that we can have an opportunity to live with him forever in heaven, an invitation that's open to everyone. But unfortunately, only a few will accept the outrageous moment that we've gathered to celebrate today when God became flesh and lived among us continues on when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. Because you see, then God not only just lives with us, he takes it to a whole Another even more outrageous level as God then chooses to live within you. Praise be to God for his indescribable gift. Christmas is outrageous. It's incredible. Look at what we have to share. There are so many around us every day, from the checkout at the store to the coworkers at work to the neighbor across the street. There are so many people around us every day that don't have this hope, that don't have this promise, that don't know this love, that don't know this truth of who this Jesus is. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it is your duty, it is your command, it is your charge as a son or daughter of God to share that it's not good news. That's just not a big enough word. It's outrageous. It's incredible. It's life-giving news. Who doesn't need to hear that? Think of what we have before us, church. Next Sunday we meet is New Year's Day, a day that we humans mark as this day of regeneration, a day of starting over, of beginning anew, Right? Something that us Christians should practice every single day that we awake. God gives us a new day, a new opportunity to exist on this beautiful planet. It's amazing creation and to do his bidding, to share people, to share with people his love for them. Prayerfully consider that this next week. Prayerfully consider that as we approach this new year. What is God charging you to do this year? We've asked for, for some input, and we thank you for those that have, have emailed those things in. I can't wait to read those. I'm going to read those starting Tuesday morning to begin formulating the message for next Sunday. I don't normally do that. I normally do things way in advance, so um, it's kind of weird for me, but that's okay. That's okay. If you haven't sent in what God has done for you, through you this last year, please do that. Please do that as soon as possible. Get that to me. I want to share it on Sunday. I really want to share your story on Sunday. And here's the thing. I want more people to share their story. You might say, God hasn't given you a story. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. He has. He has. You just got to be willing to share it. This precious, precious gift that came on this day is for you. What all has God done through you? What all has God done for you 
in your life. And then you're still here, right? Right. So what all will God do through you? I can't wait to see. I can't wait to see. We're going to take a moment right now and go ahead and take communion together. Seems like maybe an odd thing to do, talking about the birth of Jesus and then celebrating his death, his crucifixion at the same time. But as I said before, you can't have one without the other. They perfectly are perfectly entwined together. And so as we take a moment and we think about this baby being born, God in the flesh, knowing as he left heaven what he was coming to do, we think about that child growing in wisdom and stature with God and man throughout his life, all the while preparing for the moment that we're going to remember right now, the moment where he took his very own life and willingly gave it up. Some people say he was murdered. No, he allowed it to happen. He could have stopped it. As the old hymn goes, he could have called 10,000 angels just like that, but he didn't. He didn't. He knew his purpose. He knew his plan. He knew the only way you and I could spend eternity with him, and that was for him to complete his mission, the mission for which he was incarnated, the mission he came to fulfill, his death, burial, and thank you, Jesus, his resurrection from the grave three days later. So if you would, on your own, just take a moment spend a little extra time this morning. It's a special Sunday. This won't happen again to celebrate Christmas on Sunday for 11 years. How will our lives all be different in 11 years? We've got this moment right now to reflect and remember on what your Savior and mine did for us. And if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this God who became flesh, then today is the day. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that full story. Would you please consider today being your birthday? your spiritual birthday as you come and become a new creation in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more incredible that could happen today than to celebrate one of the lost sheep coming home. Father God, as we bow our heads and quietly remember the sacrifice you made as we consider your body that was broken and your blood that was shed, it seems so hard maybe to relate that to the birth of baby, this innocent child that came to this earth to save us. But Father, this is why he came, to offer his life as a ransom, a ransom for my sins, and a ransom for each one that has gathered. Father, we thank you for this indescribable gift. May we all have an incredible moment together with you.